Welcome to Sunshine Studios, home of the Barry Bow Show, and also home of the Steve Piasecki Podcast. Dead Stripper is the first book in the Steve Piasecki series, but a word of caution before you continue. Dead Stripper contains explicit content, such as strong language and the depiction of graphic sex and violence, including murder. Therefore, this podcast might not be suitable for all audiences. Forewarned is forearmed. And now, into Chapter 27 of Dead Stripper, when Steve begins his mission to find the killer of the Dead Stripper. It's the next morning, St. Patrick's Day. I wake up on the couch by myself. Jess must have gone to work at that new place. As happy as I am to see my drug charges drop, it bothers me that CID still thinks I murdered the dead stripper. I want to prove my innocence, but I have no idea how. I walk over to the windows and stare outside at the clouds in the sky. And then something hits me like a ton of bricks. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Like her, I'm a mystery writer, <laughs> except for the fact that she's a published author and I'm still an unpublished mystery writer. Still, just like her, I decide I'm going to help the police solve a murder case. A few minutes later, I take an Uber back to the Broadway to pick up my envoy. And 20 minutes later, I'm driving down a steep hill then turning into the media station apartments. And now I'm driving up a steep hill toward Building A, which is where the dead stripper lived. A right turn takes me to the far end of the building. Then I park, get out of the envoy, and approach the entrance. I climb the steps to the landing and start looking at the panel of buttons. Shit, what button to push? When I carry the dead stripper's belongings up to her door, I notice that there are four apartments on her floor two on one side of the landing and two on the other. So her landing has doors leading to apartments 200, 201, 202, and 203. The dead stripper lived in apartment 201. If the apartments are numbered consecutively, then her next door neighbor lives in 202. But if they're numbered odd on one side and even on the other, then the next door neighbor lives in 203. So should I press 202? or 203. I play a hunch and press 203. Five seconds later, I hear a woman's voice. Yes? Ma'am, we don't know each other, but it's very important that I see you. About what? About your next door neighbor. She makes no response. I wait, but now there's no more hollow sound coming out of the speaker. She must have hung up on me. I press 203 again. Go away, sir, or I'll call the police. Ma'am, please, you can do that, but like I said, it's very important that I talk to you. Who are you? Ma'am, I know your neighbor's dead. I just want to talk to you about her death. You're one of those Snoopy reporters, aren't you? No, um, but that's as far as I get. She's gone again. So this time I press 203 and keep holding it down. That's it, sir. I warned you. Now I'm calling, since you're so into my shit, why don't you come over and trim my pussy hair next time it needs trimming? One minute later, the door to apartment 203 opens and I see a middle-aged white female standing there, glaring at me. I was expecting to see the spinster look, 
but she's dressed well enough to enter any restaurant in town. State your case fast, mister, or you get my door in your face. My name's Steve, and I'm the Uber driver who drove your neighbor home that night. You know, the night before she was found dead in the bathtub. Go on. The police accused me of being the drug dealer who supplied the drugs that killed her. Did they arrest you? Yes, they did. Then why aren't you in jail? Because I'm innocent. That's what all you crooks say. Ma'am, I went to court and I was exonerated. So why are you here now? Because your neighbor didn't die from a drug overdose. What are you talking about? Someone murdered her, ma'am. I'd like to find out who, and I think you can help me. How? I know about your camera. Ruth, please call me Ruth. Ma'am makes me feel old. Two minutes later, Ruth and I are sitting in her living room. It's nicely furnished. She's sitting on the sofa, and I'm sitting in an end chair. She offers coffee, but I politely decline. So, Steve, how exactly can I help you solve this, this, this murder case, you say? This is a shot in the dark, Ruth, but I'm hoping you still have your recordings from that night. She smiles, then stands up. Come with me. She leads me into the dining area to a desk against one wall. She's got an old Packard Bell computer on top of that desk. It's a relic with a box-like monitor sitting on top of the processor box. An external keyboard sits in front of the monitor and a computer tower sits on the floor underneath the desk. Pull up a chair. She sits at the desk. I keep everything on floppies and I have every floppy since I moved in here three years ago. She turns on the computer. I take a chair from under the dining room table and swing it around. Then I pull the chair up next to her and take a seat. She opens a plastic container of floppies and starts thumbing through. Easy enough. I label them all with the date. If memory serves, that was March 7th. She flips through a box of floppies until she finds the one she's looking for. She pulls it out of the box, then she reaches down and inserts the floppy inside a slot in the towel. The monitor warms up and we're ready to go. I dropped her off a little before midnight. She starts the video and starts scanning forward. It should be right around here. She stops the rewind, hits play, and we start watching. At first, we're looking at an empty landing for almost a minute. Then she fast forwards a little more and bingo. We see the fire door open and the dead stripper enters the landing. And here I come, right behind her, carrying the makeup case and the two Macy's shopping bags. There you are, Steve. Why are you carrying those things? She had an argument before she left the strip club where she worked. An old boyfriend. He twisted her wrist and hurt her too much to carry anything. Well, aren't you Sir Galahad? We watched the dead stripper and me walk up to the door of the dead stripper's apartment and stop. She unlocks the door and steps inside. By then, I already set the makeup case and the shopping bags on the floor outside her door. She picks up her belongings one at a time then sets them all inside her apartment. Then it looks like she thanks me, then closes the door. I turn and take a few steps away from her apartment. Then I open the fire door and leave. You didn't even go inside. Nope. So, I bet you think if we keep watching this, we're going to see the killer. Very perceptive. He had to get here sometime after I left. Oh, this is so exciting. I can't wait. It shouldn't take long. Another car was coming in as I was leaving. And I believe our man was driving that car. She fast forwards, but not for long. 
We see some activity, so she reverses the video to where the activity begins, then restarts the video. And now we see an older man coming through the door. He's around 50. He's not wearing a suit, but he's well dressed. And we get a good look at his face as he walks up to the dead stripper's apartment. He taps on the dead stripper's door. A moment later, the door opens and we see the dead stripper standing there. She's wearing a bathrobe. It looks like she invites him inside. The man steps inside the apartment and the door closes. So, Ruth says, that's our killer. Two hours later, I run up the courthouse steps and through a revolving door. I set my laptop on the conveyor belt. While it's passing through the metal detector, a security guard waves a wand all over me. Then I hustle down a flight of steps. I've already been here three times this week, so I know my way around CID headquarters by heart. I enter the waiting room, carrying my laptop. I don't see anyone else waiting, so I step right up to the reception window. I see a female in uniform on the other side of the glass. She's doing some paperwork, so I tap on the glass. She looks up in my direction. How can I help you, sir? I'd like to see Detective Bishop. Is she expecting you? No. Who should I say is calling? Mr. Piasecki. Please take a seat, sir, while I try to contact her. I step back, then move over to the right and take a seat. Less than two minutes pass. Then a door opens and Detective Bishop steps into the waiting area. She looks around, sees me, and seems surprised. Then she approaches. I stand up. Mr. Piasecki, how exactly can I help you? Well, the way I hear it, you folks here at CID think I murdered a dead stripper? Two minutes later, I'm now sitting in the same interrogation room where she and her partner interrogated me earlier in the week, twice. I'm on one side of the same small table, and she's on the other side. We didn't talk on the short walk from the waiting room. What, she begins, would make you say something like that? Let's quit fucking around. My frankness surprises her. I know about the autopsy. More surprise on her face. And I know someone strangled the dead stripper. You have my attention, Mr. Piasecki. About fucking time. I'm enjoying this acting out, by the way. It's my form of payback for what they put me through. But enough's enough. Time to get down to business. On the night I transported her home, a car passed me as I was pulling away from the entrance to her building. I believe the killer was driving that car. Should I go on? Please continue. When I drove her home, she told me about a nosy neighbor, a nosy neighbor with a security camera. And as it works out, just three hours ago, I paid a visit to that nosy neighbor. And believe it or not, she kept the video from that night. And, and she and I just watched it. And we watched the killer enter her apartment and leave an hour later, four hours later. Instead of being followed by an unmarked car, I'm now following an unmarked car. Ruth, my new partner in crime, is riding shotgun, and my friend's sitting behind her. I brought him along just in case we need some strong-armed help. We follow the unmarked car to a ritzy section of Chestnut Hill. We're driving along a narrow road, passing trees and fields off to the right, and well-tended mansions off to the left. We eventually reach a mansion that sits all by itself on top of a decent-sized hill. The unmarked car turns into the driveway, and we turn into the driveway 
and keep foul. The winding drive leads up the hill for a good quarter mile. There, the unmarked car stops in front of the impressive mansion. We stop. Next, we watch Detective Bishop and Detective Gerber exit the unmarked car and start approaching the entrance to the mansion. Detective Bishop knocks on the front door. Less than a minute later, the door opens and a uniformed butler is standing in the doorway. How can I help you? We're here to see Judge Wesley, Detective Bishop says. And who shall I say is calling? I'm Detective Bishop, Delaware County CID. She presents her credentials. And this is my partner, Detective Gerber. Detective Gerber flashes his badge. Please step inside. The detectives enter the mansion and the butler closes the door. Inside the mansion. The butler leads the detectives into a large vestibule. I will inform the judge of your presence. The butler says, then walks away. Did you ever see Gone with the Wind? Detective Gerber says as his eyes wander all around the inside of the mansion. Tell me about it. Detective Bishop is all eyes as well. Less than two minutes later, Judge Winston Wesley comes walking up to meet them. He's a medium-sized man, 52 years old, with a tanned face from regular rounds of golf at the nearby Philadelphia Cricket Club. I do not believe that we have ever met before. I'm Detective Bishop, Delaware County CID, and this is my apartment, Detective Gerber. I see. And how exactly can I help you folks? We'd like you to accompany us to CID headquarters. The judge furrows his brow. And what is the reason for such a request? We'd like to discuss your whereabouts on the night of March the 7th and or the early morning hours of March the 8th. I rarely go out at night, especially on weeknights, so I'm pretty sure that I was right here on those specific nights in question. We have reason to believe otherwise. I am sure that I have no idea what you are talking about. And I would like to have the name of your superior, please. Look, Judge Wesley, Detective Gerber says, we can do this the easy way, or we can do it the hard way. The choice is yours. And that's the end of Chapter 27. Dead strippers available to Amazon and most booksellers in both Kindle and paperback format. Join us next time for Chapter 8, when the detectives put the judge on the hot seat.